Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having frank and open conversations about building and marketing products and building the businesses behind them. I'll be digging deep into best practices, war stories, and hot takes to try and inspire you to build the right things, build them right, and get them to market effectively. Since I've got your attention, I can assure you there's plenty more where this came from, so why not head over to onenightinproduct.com where you can sign up to the mailing list, subscribe on your favourite podcast app, or follow the podcast on your favourite social media platform, and guarantee you never miss another episode again. On tonight's episode, we find ourselves climbing out of the swamp of business social networking and saying, surely there must be a better way than that. And we speak to two people who are convinced there is. We talk about hot new startup Polywork, aiming to help people represent their professional life in all its complexity how they're building it and navigating the sometimes difficult relationship between founder and product team, and why it's important to disagree but align. There'll also be a special invite code to try Polywork for yourself, so make sure you've got your pen and paper ready. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So tonight, my two guests are Matt Boyer and Peter Johnston. Matt's a product manager, product leader, and treadmill marathon runner who once appeared as an extra on an HBO show, so I'm expecting him to cash in with a viral YouTube rap in due course. Peter's a self-taught product designer who started out designing things with MNC Saatchi before moving on to big tech with Google and getting bored designing stuff for other people, moving into startups and entrepreneurship so he could design stuff for himself instead. They're both here tonight to tell us how they're going to save us from the scourge of unsolicited sales invites and tiresome LinkedIn influencer content as the founder and product director of Polywork, a new professional social network where people highlight the things they've been up to, work, life, learnings, plans, and more. Hi, chaps. How are you tonight? Very good, Jason. Very good. Thanks for having us. I'm Peter, founder CEO of Polywork. And hey there, I'm Matt, product director of Polywork. Excellent. Good to have you here. So first things first, it's the name on everyone's lips, Polywork, value proposition time. What problem does Polywork solve for me? So... We let you represent who you are as a professional in higher definition than existing professional networks in hopes that by doing that, you'll be able to connect to new, better, more suitable opportunities with more like-minded teams. We typically find that the bits that existing platforms let you represent about yourself don't really go beyond much of the standard stuff like job title, school you went to, and that can typically find us all looking relatively similar on different professional networks. and so. We kind of wanted to, uh, I guess the internal mantra is sort of go beyond the job title and let people represent the things they've actually brought into the world, the things they've actually done before, whether it's nine to five or not. Yeah. Did everyone start using the product yet? <laughs> that's, the, that's the long and short of it. Keep refreshing the page. But what does representing yourself mean? I mean, obviously, I've been on the site. I can see you can, for example tag yourself with different activities that you've done and there's kind of a structured taxonomy of things that you can do and you have to select one of those or I guess create a new one before you then put an update on so there's a lot of structure around it there's also a lot of gamification around it with like badges and stuff like that and you can see all the people that are signing up as or all the recent signups on the site and stuff like that so I mean obviously it's a social network so you'd expect a lot of that but it does feel a bit different to say something like LinkedIn which is what people will most consider you as a competitor to, certainly philosophically. How do the two mesh together? Because it is a very different way to present yourself from a work perspective. Yeah, we. I think the the main there's a couple of core ways we differentiate from. I guess like LinkedIn particularly, but any any real sort of 
professional network. And I think the, the core ones are that we removed the emphasis on the school you went to, the job title you've held, just because we feel like they are relatively false proxies for potential. And oftentimes when you know the powers that be are skimming profiles and seeing who might be a match, they're usually the things that people look out for the most. And that can kind of disqualify a lot of people. And so we kind of flipped it on its head and said, okay, what if we replaced the job titles that make everyone look almost indistinguishable for one another and the skills that they list on? I think this is probably one of the greatest tricks the world, professional world pulled is that we have a pretty strong belief that when you list skills in a profile, they're not actually that useful. Like the question still begs, what did you do with the skill? Like, how did you apply the skill? And so if you're left with this, you know, large repository of profiles that either A, look the same because they all have the same job titles and there's no differentiation and B, you have these skills that let you, you know, we don't actually know what you did with them. We replace them with badges and activities. And so specifically, we did not determine what badges would be created. We made those user generated. It's like a conscious decision early on that we would let people decide what categories they wanted to create. And we can go into detail, but that's, you know, that's resulted in everything from ones you would expect to see on a professional, more traditional professional network, like product design or marketing architecture, right through to like more personal badges, which you can get into, you know, just the personality that has been brought to life in a platform, whether it's the Trekkie badge or the plant bomb badge <laughs> or the lifelong learner, you know, bringing, bringing in the more human side, I think. And then, yeah, the activities you nailed on the head. I mean, the, the structured taxonomy is really around the idea of what if the future of people search was searching people based on what they've done. And that's a big, big part of the vision is to build a capability database for the world. And today, it's as simple as search for a job title and get 9,000 listings of people with exactly the same job title and then start this like two to three month decryption process to work out what does that actually mean? And what did you actually do at Doodle or Polywork or Google or wherever? And what we want to do is flip it on its head and say, what if they didn't matter? What if the titles didn't matter at all? And you could simply search people based on what they've done before. And so that's kind of a big, big part of the, the gamification and the encouragement around indexing and documenting a lot of those activities is that you can be discovered for them on the network. Yeah, I think one of the interesting potential side effects of that could be that Frankly, you could get the kind of Boaty McBoakface type effect where, you know, someone or a number of people just start effectively junking the platform with just random things that they thought were funny or just interesting little tidbits that actually don't help with that mission at all. Is that something that you're conscious of and trying to keep some kind of lid on or are you pretty much living it free for all at the moment and seeing how that falls out? We definitely wanted to... We're aware of sort of the potential downsides of folksonomy and, you know, completely <laughs> like user generated content and the moderation of that. But I think initially, yeah, we, we really did want to bake in that flexibility from day one around like, what if we literally let people decide the categories? And just so far, I guess it's maybe a consequence <laughs> of the community being like relatively young and, and small is that. And so far, there's been a, a fair amount of, I guess, policing done amongst users itself. Yeah. And But I would imagine over time, we're going to have to add in a little bit more <laughs> curated, curated moderation as those, as those badges get a little more creative, let's say. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, the advantage of, of the user-generated content is that we get badges that we never would have thought of. Yeah. And I think what's been really exciting to see 
in our early days is the emergent behaviors that have come out from our users, the badges that we never would have predicted that have caught on. Some of the badges like Rabbit Hole Explorer or Dyslexic or things like that, which I think when we designed the badge feature, I don't even know if we predicted all the badges and the ways that people would use badges to self-identify. But that's the power of Polywork is that users get to self-identify in whatever they, way that they feel most represents them. And I think on the flip side of that, you do get the characters who are trying to game the system, <laughs> come up with badges that range from sort of questionable, unquestionable tastes to actually offensive or harassing. And, and we have a great team in place to actually monitor that. And we're building features to sort of help the community keep that in check. But I think on the whole, it wouldn't be polywork if we were policing the badges and the activities. It's, it's really about letting our users express who they are and what they do. That's fair enough. And I think, as Peter said, there's going to be this effect as you go on. I'm sure that no one wanted to have moderators to start with, right? But they all end up getting them to some extent towards the end. But you touched on there actually about the size of your team. And I know you've got your first round of funding a short while back, so you've got money to spend. So how big is the team now? Like, How fast have you grown and, and how many people have you got in pocket at the moment? Yeah. So we were nine people up until the launch, which we, we launched at the start of May. I believe, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we just hit like 21 people. We kind of managed to rehire back some, some of my old company. And so it's, it's happened pretty quick. I think we doubled in size. I think that's right. I think I was officially number nine. Oh, there you go. Back in May. And then we're definitely over 20. Well, you're still early enough to just have your first name as the beginning of your email address. That's the most important badge of honor, mate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although learning the hard way that if you have that as a, you end up after you announce your funding and you get like most gets caught in spam filters. <laughs> I, I think I think I'm a couple of months away from not because of volume of employees, but just from purely the amount of outreach we get. I'm a, I'm a month away from swapping it from peteropolywork.com to something else. But <laughs> for now, it works. Fair enough. So now, Peter, you're the founder of Polywork, as we said. I imagine you sitting there frustrated in front of LinkedIn one night, getting your 50,000th in-mail from some random <laughs> either recruiter or some kind of salesperson who's trying to sell you something that you've already got or you don't need, or you've been scrolling through some content and you've just thrown your hands up in the air. You're like, this is, this is too much. And then you sit there and think, hang on a minute, I could found a company that does this and do it better. Is that the origin story, or was it a bit more purposeful than that? It was it, it not 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 accurate. You know, it <laughs> no, it, it started a little a little broader than that, which was it was less that I had issue with LinkedIn and more that I'd experienced like a personal pain point working in a large company, which was I was fortunate to work at Google. I mean, this is a long time ago now, but I worked at Google in, from 2012 to 2014 in London, UK. And that was my first real experience of like having to work with like international teams at real speed. And the I was kind of like the newbie, you know. I, I think I, I joined when I was like 24 years old, and I had always asked like, "Hey, who are these people? And is there anywhere I can like learn about them?" And I literally meant that about my colleagues. Like, it was just there were so many people being bolted onto projects from like Mountain View in Amsterdam and New York, and vendors that we used, freelancers, contractors would come in, and I just didn't genuinely didn't know anything about them and. The answer was always, you know, jokingly, sometimes people have checked the HR system, which just made no sense whatsoever because I don't want their home address. 
You know, I wanted to know like <laughs> what projects they'd worked on, who they worked with on the team before, and you know, and then obviously that's where I, my, that's where I was exposed to LinkedIn more. Like people just say, "Well, just look up their LinkedIn profile." And the reality is that the information I wanted wasn't available, like really wasn't available. And like to your point, you really have to sift through the shit on that platform, like to work out like have they worked with any of the 60,000 connections they've got? And what are these endorsements <laughs> for these skills? But then I still find myself asking the questions like, what do they actually do with the skills? And I wanted, I wanted just better, more rich, relevant information on these people. And so it, it, that was my first exposure nearly nine years ago now, just to purely... We don't really know anything about the people we work with. Or, and like, there's no really searchable, indexable information on professionals and you know back then i don't think i appreciated even the gravity of that problem for the world but if that is the database that most of us rely on <laughs> to look people up <laughs> and find each other and connect to opportunities now i can in retrospect look back and say that you know i wish i'd solved it sooner like we're still on the mission to solve it but <laughs> i you know i, I think it's kind of nuts actually like i think that we take for granted that you cannot simply look somebody up and know what they've done before to see if they have relevant experience for you. And that that fact makes us really unproductive as a world. And so a combination of like just wanting to personally solve that pain point and and also I think I was able to solve that through helping people represent themselves better. Like coming from Belfast, I kind of always didn't want to get cast as like the dude from like <laughs> what like what's 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 he what's he doing here like designing in this team like he grew up in Belfast uh, that doesn't make any sense and so I think the combination of both of those things kind of has sustained and probably will sustain like another decade of trying to solve this problem around just like people's identities and making them more searchable and representable. No, I mean that makes a lot of sense. But Matt, how did you get involved? I mean, did you know Peter from before, or did you have to? coming through the front door i mean as you say you're employee number nine but was that always written in the stars no so it was funny i was throughout covid you know i i had a good ride through covid i was founding a company i ended up leaving the company i was freelancing as a pm working with all these different startups and i was looking to you know go back and be full-time and, and dive in with two feet into a, a company and i was introduced to pete through uh through a mutual friend and coworker, and it really just clicked almost immediately for me because I had experienced the pain point myself as a freelancer. Yeah, um, where I had been struggling to figure out how to describe what I was working on when it wasn't associated with the job title. I think I was, you know, on my resume or on my LinkedIn, I would bullet point out the projects I was doing, but then it just felt insignificant. I couldn't say who I was working with in any kind of structured way. And it just felt kind of weak next to like, you know, a more traditional job title. And, uh, and I also found that it was really strange how you go find active uh, opportunities to work with people, because it seemed like I was just mining my personal network. I wasn't really, there's no really good way to indicate to my colleagues and network that I was open to freelance work. And so I would have loved a product where I could say I was open to freelance work go look at all the opportunities to to do freelance work and then show someone my resume. And when I saw the product, I think I signed up on like a Friday and I spent my weekend filling out my profile and it just immediately clicked that like this product had to exist. And so from then on, it was actually pretty quick. 
in going from meeting Pete, building a profile, meeting the team, and, and then jumping in. But you don't have to go too far on startup Twitter to find moderately intense debates about when the right time is to bring on your first product hire, what level that product hire should be, whether the founder should be doing it all themselves. Now, obviously, in this case, you're employee number nine. So, you know, we've got product representation in from the start, which, you know, from my perspective as a product person is fantastic. But Peter, was that something that you always wanted to kind of get that product leader in from the start? Or was that just serendipity because you knew Matt and he was kind of right place, right time? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Matt and I talk about this a lot. Very like, I mean, we also connected to a friend who happens to be also like a product director <laughs> at another company in Canada. <laughs> so a lot of, a lot of product people in the mix. But no, it was, you know, I've, I've hired a number of product people over the years. And I think like the, I think over time, it's become easier to delineate what I'm good at and what I'm not good at when it comes to product and what people like Matt can bring to the table. I think I am good at storytelling. And I think that the one thing that whether a founder is a product founder or not, they bring is the vision for the business. But the reality is that translating that vision (laughs) into like a tangible, a tangible roadmap is like, I mean, that's really, you know, Polywork has like incredible concept market fit and the vision of, you know, and the story we tell around people being more than their job title and being able to like connect to new exciting opportunities and cross lanes and not stay in their own lane, you know, is a powerful one. And that's good. And that's always what I've done. And I think when you hire your first product director to think through like, do I want to be the person that's like in the weeds in every, you know, like defining exactly what the roadmap looks like and in sprint planning and in grooming and, and really working on it? Or do I want to be the person that's setting the vision for the entire company and in hiring, like, I guess the, I'm not a huge fan of military analogies, but I know they're used <laughs> often in the workplace. But like, do you hire those lieutenants to, you know, translate that vision to the go-to-market roadmap, to the product roadmap, to the technical roadmap? And so, yeah, but that but that was not always the case. I mean, I like hired part of people that didn't work out in the past and that wanted to own like the the vision part. And I think really owning and understanding that the vision. I mean, and having the confidence to also say as like a solo finder, like, well, the the vision's why we're here. So that almost like can't be redefined. But if people are excited about that vision and want to bring it to life and just like and then being respectful of like what that looks like and and getting people supportive of that, I think it can end up working out really well. And so far so good, you know, Matt's still here a few months. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think we're having fun. Definitely. But yeah, come on, Matt, because we all know that the founder quite often likes to sit there and think that they're the de facto first product manager, even if even if they say they're not. So how many times has Pete just come in and overrule you or play the founder card or the hippo card and just trash everything that you just worked on <laughs> never once or twice or more often than I that i mean i i think we have a pretty healthy relationship there like i think we we talk about product every day all day and i think one thing i know about myself uh, is that i am never shy about saying what i think and so i think <laughs> pete and i will have vigorous discussion about features and go back and forth on things. And, and I think what's good is we're both, we both have a really shared goal of building an amazing product for a problem that we've both personally experienced. And I would say that like, you know, sometimes, sometimes he makes a call and sometimes I make a call and, and we, we move on and we build it and, and we measure it and we see it's working. And I think we're both like pretty, uh, pretty iterative and pretty low ego when it comes to like 
whose call is it? So I think that's a pretty healthy, healthy relationship we have so far going on. Yeah, I'd also say like the Matt, I learned I learned from Matt the term like well, I'd always used it, but I hadn't used it as much, which was like d- disagree but commit. And so I think yeah, absolutely. The like there, there's there's a couple of times for sure when it's like you know, in particular, I think it's I've learned over time working on product and and also to add another dynamic to the mix. Like I also manage the design team because <laughs> I'm a because like that that's that's the only hard skill I've got is product design, <laughs> and so the it's that always adds an extra mix of like the, the boundaries between ux and product which kind of like sometimes is funny too but, but no, i think the disagree but commit has has helped me learn that like you know what and my coach helps me too with like what decisions are glass and what are rubber yeah and you know like changing the entire focus of the com- of the product you know org and vision is something that i could do and but that needs a discussion and that's something that is glass potentially because we could end up wasting like a ton of money and three months you know going down a rabbit hole versus like i have been able to learn to understand that those are the things i have to be right on and have to be able to stand behind and therefore i'm not gonna it's gonna be like i'm gonna you know push those forward and generally get the team aligned on which i think at a high level there's never really been any sort of disagreement there i think when it gets to the day-to-day it's just also as a founder about learning when to disagree but commit. And there's like leeway in different places. And then the good side of that is you end up learning it, but sometimes you're like, I'm wrong. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> which is, which like it often, I think as well, like sometimes when I was a lesser experience, my first company product leader, I think it's, you can take comfort in defining very tangible individual features because you know it because you've worked as a product designer, you've worked as a product manager before, like I have. And, and it can be kind of scary to be responsible for like the fluffy high level vision that isn't, it's like kind of this like magical pixie dust in the air that no one can quite put their finger on. And so, but I think I'm, my confidence over the years has grown. And so, therefore, I can kind of leave people alone more <laughs> to work on the roadmap and getting it done. And what I'd add to that too is like, uh, you know, a tactic for anybody managing up is like the the advantage you have is you can do the work. So I think like you know when Pete and I might have a disagreement about how something should be implemented or what should be implemented, you know, I can I can just go and do the work like whether it means talking to users or working with the design team to try two versions. If you know if we reach a a point where I'm saying one thing on Slack and he's saying another thing on Slack, I'll say you know what, let's just let's just go design them both. And take a look, and then you know sometimes you know he wasn't thinking about it the way I was thinking about it, and when he sees it, he's like, "Oh yeah, let's do that." Or sometimes when I look at my idea after designing it, I'm like, "Wait a second, <laughs> <laughs> that was a waste of time." Let's he was right the whole time. So I think like you know when when you do have these disagreements, sometimes you can just go off and do the work, and it makes it easier to make a decision. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and sounds like a really healthy dynamic. But you touched on something there, which I want to dig into a little bit, which is, yeah, we talked about the the big vision and the kind of reason for being for the company and the, the concept market fit you've got. It's all the high level stuff. But as has been said, you have to then work out a way to translate that into something tangible that you'd put into people's hands. And obviously, that would, in traditional product terms, talk to discovery and doing some proper experimentation and trying to understand actually how that would resonate and connect with the market. So what was your process of going from kind of genesis of idea into working out what the version one or the beta version of Polywork was going to look like? 
this is actually the stuff I enjoy the most is like a product finder is just like talking to people and working out like what are their pain points and is there enough are they consistent enough and painful enough that you can see like a wedge into actually solving the problem like that I love that zero to one phase and I think that for us it was we generally I actually think I could spend an entire life I think multiple people could spend their entire life trying to solve the original problem that I had discovered, which is a lack of relevant professional information in the world. <laughs> and, you know, like I actually did, I spent like seven years in my previous company that didn't work, like trying to solve it in a completely different way. And I think so like th- there's all I think the danger, but also the exciting part is that when you approach it from a like, a, let's not from a let's try to build a better LinkedIn, but from a how do we make sure that professional information is more discoverable, searchable online. My big learning and I, di- I didn't let go of this enough in my early company was that there are so many ways you can carve a turkey. Like, <laughs> like literally, we could have we could have decided to build like twenty different products to solve that problem. Yeah, I think what I think what we did well with the early user research was like to just the like ultimately the pain point we were trying to solve at the time. And I think it was I think we were fortunate to arrive at a time during the start of the pandemic, which was obviously completely unfortunate. But a lot of people started working from home, and a lot of people were out of work. And therefore, the two pain points we were circling in on were like, well, people need to find work and want to find work. And also, people were starting to do more work. Like, that. and I mean, like, they started actually polyworking. Like, they were sat at home, they had a little bit more time, there was no commute. So, they started a podcast or they started mentoring or investing or guest lecturing just purely to like break up the monotony of like waking up and doing the same thing at their desks like every single day. Yep. That, yeah, that, I mean, case in point, you know, like you're leading product at Doodle and, and you, know, you know, you're doing the podcast and I love hearing this stuff and talking about what we're doing too. It, it helps. I mean, this is like, we're looking forward to this all day because it gets me out of like <laughs> reviewing PRDs and, you know, talk, doing user research. And, and so I think when, when, when you combine those two, what we really did was speaking to a lot of users, we realized that probably the biggest opportunity and the single like really drilling down into like what are people's frustrations it, it's that they didn't feel seen and and which I was really surprised at I instantly thought it was going to be people are going to say they want more work and we so we started with that I mean, it made sense right like you'd assume oh, everyone's on it like everyone like lots of people lost a job during the pandemic they're going to want an app that helps them find work and in actual fact when we just sat down with people it was like a, it was. I think we. It was more that the period of time during the pandemic, during lockdown, had made them reflect on who they were, what they wanted to do, and rather than know that immediately and want to go out and document and like find new opportunities and new work, they really they wanted a way to like better represent their life and who they were, and that was what gave us our wedge in. Because like anyone could say, oh, let's solve it by like help people find jobs, like Hired.com did. They broke off a massive part of LinkedIn and. Ours, I think, really, we really deduced from it that it was going to be, how do we help people re- represent themselves better? And in particular, because people were polyworking, there wasn't really a way to do to represent those multi facets of people's identities. And so it just ended up being the biggest, gnarliest, and I think most like emotional pain point from talking to people that they were. And that got me excited because, you know, I think it's like a very I think it's 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 like product people are usually storytellers by nature. Like storytellers are problem solvers. And so like as a the product and designer and product manager in me really wanted to like build a product that helped people tell their story. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But you talked a bit there about the pandemic and obviously right place, right time 
whatever the wider societal implications of that. You know, you you came along and you filled a need at a time where that need existed. And I also know, of course, that as you've been going out into beta, you've been invite only. Your support people have been kind enough to give some podcast specific invite codes as well, which I'm sure we'll be rinsing after this episode goes out. <clears throat> Speaking of which, if you want to check out Polywork, you can head to polywork.com and use invite code one night. That's O N E K N I G H T. Or go to polywork.com slash invite slash one night. O N E K N I G H T. And skip the waiting list. So go check it out and let me know what you think. Let's get back to the episode. But it kind of calls to mind another relatively hot startup in the recent past who also went for exclusivity and also seemed to be kind of peak lockdown as well. I'm talking about Clubhouse, mm-hmm. which obviously generated a lot of buzz, a lot of goodwill. Everyone flooded into it. Everyone was trading and sharing invite codes and the growth was really high. And then all of a sudden it just plateaued and collapsed. Now it's not collapsed entirely, but it's definitely a shadow of what it was maybe a few months back. Are you worried in any way that you might kind of ride a similar wave like everyone kind of gets into it they were looking for something new but then but now they're all going back to the office again probably and they're just going to want to lapse back into their own ways or have you found a way that you could kind of keep that going yeah good question i mean what i what i would say is that like the hype cycles are actually like relatively controllable due to influencer marketing and due to like just social sharing content and so we you know we typically get like hundreds of mentions a day on social and it's definitely even like in the last three months it's it's went from you know like thousands of mentions in a single day to closer to like the lower hundreds and so i think it comes and goes based on this like the story and like what's and, and what what is interesting people at that, at that time what i would say is like one main difference between polywork and clubhouse is that Polywork for the most, like our product really wasn't designed to be a network or a community on day one. Like it's, it, it has definitely, believe me, we've had, and we can get into it and talk about it. We've definitely had to react to like, holy shit, a lot of people signed up. <laughs> you know, like, do we, do we focus on network features and community features? Like, cause, you know, we, we, we have, I think, been billed as a professional network. But in actual fact, we really started as a single player mode. And I think the initial hype around Polywork and, the surge really came from people, honestly, I think just being like excited to express who they were. And um, I still remember when we launched in May, like we didn't have a centralized feed of the content. And, and by the way, that's like candidly, that, that's not the reason people use us. Like people use us for now, for now at least, because it's expensive to set up a website, it's costly and it's hard to update and publish. And we provide like a really nice, structured, easy to update alternative to that. So I think in that sense, like I hype will probably come and go based on stories that we tell or influencers we engage. And I think as long as we focus on like the value of our product is not yet the network that exists there. It's actually the, like, the utility we built in the product. And so I don't worry in the sense that I think as long as we keep building, I mean, I think as long as we keep building a product that can be valuable to like GSN today, like just GSN, <laughs> then that then that'll probably that'll probably serve us pretty well. But there's lots of other questions to be answered around like what do we do now that you have like lots of users? <laughs> and like how much do you, <laughs> you know, d- uh, deviate from the original goal that you set out to do, which was build a better way for people to represent themselves. And I have like 
very, very strong PTSD from my last company where we just like split focus way too much. And so I'm, I almost like I index on, I mean, you work, you know, and lead product at B2B company. I'm sure you know, like a lot of stuff gets led by clients and, you know, and how much you do. And all of a sudden you have five modules. Like my last company had five modules and, you know, we find ourselves like after five years asking like, what's the one thing that we do really well as a business? And, you know, you ended up getting like a lot of different answers from different people. And so I think that's... But I also think that's the challenge of all startups, right? Is like, yeah. where do you focus the very finite resource you have in order to delight users and do it well? And I can tell you that from our learning... I mean, my last company got up to like 300,000 users in, in the network. And it is very different building a utility product to a network product. They're completely different feature sets, completely different north, you know, true norths. And I'm, my last company didn't do well, you know, spreading spreading itself too thinly across lots of different value props and focus areas. But Matt, how are you tackling that problem then from a pure product perspective? Like, are there any principles that you're using sort of day-to-day, week-to-week to make sure that you're concentrating the resources you do have on the right things? Yeah, I mean, we... So I think, you know, we, we're solving that by taking like a long-term view and just focusing every sprint on delivering more user value. And I think, you know, we look at the metrics, obviously, and we look at growth and everything, but we, we're more focused on just like providing value to our users. And what's great about Polywork in comparison to Clubhouse is we don't see ourselves necessarily as like a daily active product right now. You build a profile and you don't need to be using it every single day to be contacted about things or to send people to your website when you're trying to tell people more about who you are. Every user who signs up is a creator on Polywork by nature of creating a profile. And so we're just focused on like the long-term vision of creating a valuable product for our users. And, and of course, we're looking at our numbers and trying to grow. And fortunately, we've had help in that front from marketing team and social buzz and all that. But I think, you know, we're, we're trying to limit the distractions and just set our priorities and, and move at those. Uh, sounds fair enough. But you just touched on it as well. I mean, you've both touched on it in different ways around sort of North Star metrics and what success looks like. So what does success look like for both of you with Polywork? Like 18 months time, how will you know you've been successful? Yeah, I think we will have found, I think success for like, well, I, I don't want to give like a generic bullshit answer, but like, honestly, we'll be like <laughs> true, true, true product market fit. You know, like we have got that. We launched four months ago. We have got it with a subset of users who, you know, in the truest sense of the word are polymaths and have these like incredible multidimensional professional identities and careers and are doing lots of different, like incredibly cool stuff and, and, and need a home for that stuff. And I think success for us would be really understanding that user and making sure that when we talk to them, obviously at scale, <laughs> like, you know, can't, we can't do this <laughs> with like 20, 20 users. Like we definitely have to do it with like, you know, millions. But I really think that it's about, I mean, Matt and I talk to users, myself more from like a product marketing feedback perspective, Matt from a user research and product management perspective. But, you know, when we talk to them, they're just like, yeah, I love this product. Like I'm really proud of the way it helps me feel. And or it helps me look and I feel good and, and it's helping me document and think about my career and my next steps. And I think it's about, you, you know, like customer NPS. I mean, I think it really is that if we are valuable and providing that utility to people and they like us uh, and they like using the product, 
I think once you can build that up, and then then you can start to ask questions of okay, now that millions of these islands use us, how do we bring them together? And you can and and, and but right now I think it's for us it's find the polymaths in the world and tell them that there's <laughs> you know that there's a there's a there's a new place for them. There's a new kind of tool for them to use that. So far, when we meet those sorts of people, they they kind of the concept resonates pretty quickly. They're like, so there's like an aha moment of like, wait a second, I didn't know that there was something that existed like this that I could also represent the, all the other things that I'm doing around, you know. And I think that's that's like really really special when you find someone that's like doing that work. And so more and more of those stories in the in the millions in the next eighteen months would be really really great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think on a personal level, I think what's really cool about working on a B two C product consumer product is that your friends can use it, your parents can use it. And I mean, you can use it. I, I think I'm pretty proudly the <laughs> number one Polywork user in terms of number of sessions when we, when we pulled the data. And that's because I use it all day, every day. But I think like, you know, 18 months, months from now, I want to see like, you know, I want to be able to go to Polywork and see what my friends are doing at work because they're posting highlights and, and I can call them and say, oh, I saw you do this really cool project. Like I think when I joined Polywork, that was another gap aside from all the, you know, how do I re- represent myself as a freelancer? I was like, you know, I, I use Instagram to see, you know, what my friends are doing in their personal life, but I have no idea what they're doing at work, which is, you know, most of their time during the week. And um, I would love to be able to stay looped in there. And, and I think, you know, on a personal level, seeing people I know using Polywork, being able to socialize with them, engage with them on like what they're doing at work, my parents. That would be fun, and, <laughs> and so I think, like as Pete was saying, as we more generally broaden the appeal of Polywork from these individuals who are like desperate for this kind of solution now to a more general audience, I think what we're going to see is like a lot more excitement to be able to like share highlights of what you're up to. Sounds good. I'll keep my eye out. So, where can people find both of you after this if they want to catch up, find out a bit more? I mean, aside from polywork.com, which we'll put in, we'll take that as given. But are there any other places that people can catch up with you after this? Yeah, my my handle on Polywork and Twitter is multiplayer, but you replace the E with a three. So I'm starting to learn how to use Twitter more. (laughs) I've had to transition a little more, a little further away from pictures of my dog to like Polywork related (laughs) uh, content as I got more followers. But yeah, either Twitter for stream of consciousness and then follow me on polywork for the kind of the, the important stuff like the stuff i'm highlighting that that i'm working on yeah and my i think the easiest place to find me now is on polywork oh, so, yeah. handle, so so uh, so we here <laughs> <laughs> my handle is me breuer which is my last name uh, b-r-e-u-e-r and you can find all my other social links off of that just made me realize that we still gotta ask that investor if they give to get you the to get you the mat handle, <laughs> that's right. <yeah. laughs> I was like, well, that makes no sense. Employee number nine has like doesn't have like the first name handle. It's it's uh, there about you that. go. Just slightly missed the wave. Well, that's been a really interesting chat. So obviously, really appreciate you both taking the time to take us through a bit of the origin story and some of the aspirations for the future. Hopefully, we can all stay in touch. But as for now, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no, likewise, Jason. Thank you so much for hosting us. Super fun. Yeah. Thanks for having us. It was a lot of fun. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful. If you did, again, I can only encourage you to pop over to onenightinproduct.com 
check out some of my other fantastic guests, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favourite podcast app and make sure you share it with your friends so you and they can never miss another episode again. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night. <laughs>